Shall we rise for the reading of God's word? Scripture is found in John, first chapter, verse 35 through 51. The next day, John, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at, Je- as, at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. So now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of of Andrew and Peter. Excuse me. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is God's word. If you didn't grab a communion cup on the way in, uh, you can grab one right now. They'll be outside the door just to the right, or Eric may pass you one if you raise your hand. Does anybody need a communion cup? Eric, if you would. Got Amy, Drew, Grace, okay. (laughs) Evan, yeah.
And Drew over here, great. What are you seeking? Do you stop long enough to ask yourself that question? If you do, you might answer it uh, like, I seek fortune and fame, or I'd like to live comfortably. I'm looking for deeper relationships. I want to be happy. Most of our answers touch only the surface. Deeper needs lie under each of these desires. A person who wants fortune and fame really desires to be valued, to feel he or she matters and is significant. One who wants to live comfortably is looking for security, which cannot be shaken. People who want friends long to belong. They want to be loved and accepted. I'm asking you this morning to take a moment to look deeply into your souls and ask yourself the question, what am I seeking? I'm going to give you a few moments to, to ponder that question. What are you seeking? Whatever you are seeking is found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we know that Christ came to give life and give it abundantly. That Christ is the answer to every one of our questions. So Lord, help us to understand the questions that, that the depths of our being, from the depths of our being that, that we're asking, of what we are seeking. And then through your spirit of God, minister the truths, the wonders, the life of Christ, the gospel to these, to these uh, searches. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our passage opens chapter 1, verses 35 through 38, and it says, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard them say this, and they, they followed Jesus. Jesus turned, saw them following, and said to them, What are you seeking? Jesus asked the question that looms large over our passage and also the entire Gospel of John. What are you seeking? It's central to each conversation that we see with these disciples. And it's assumed throughout John's gospel. While it isn't specifically asked again, Jesus offered himself 
as the fulfillment of need after need in this gospel. And this is seen clearly each time he says, I am. Assertions like, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the true vine. I am the resurrection and the life. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the answer to every need. Now, our passage describes Jesus' first contact with his disciples, Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. And we'll see that they followed him because he offered precisely what they were seeking. Andrew was seeking God. Simon, a new identity. Philip, the truth. And Nathaniel, to be known and accepted. So we begin with Andrew and an unnamed disciple who's usually identified as John, the author of the book. John the Baptist's proclamation, Behold the Lamb of God, pointed them to Jesus and they immediately followed him. Earlier, John made a more expansive proclamation when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. These disciples wanted their sin forgiven. It could have been because they were riddled with guilt or they wanted a new beginning, but most likely it's because they wanted God. They were followers of John the Baptist because he was a voice of God. He preached the need for repentance, and so these disciples clearly saw that their sin was separating them from God. Now John points them to Jesus as their next step. He would take away their sin. He would provide the way into the presence of a holy and just God. If you are riddled with guilt, if you want a new beginning, Jesus is your answer. If you seek a deep relationship with God, Jesus is the way. Whether we know it or not, almost all of us yearn for God. We may suppress this yearning with, for a variety of reasons. It could be we're angry at God for various losses we've suffered in our lives. We question his love when we look at the pain and injustice that permeates our world. It might be that we don't want to give up control of our lives, that we see God as an impediment to happiness, or that we want to define truth for ourselves rather than submit to God's truth. We want our will, not God's will, to be done. Despite these suppressions, we long for God since he created us to find fulfillment in himself. As Augustine wrote, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Pascal saw the same dynamic in human nature and wrote about an infinite abyss in our lives that can only be filled by God himself. Andrew and the unnamed disciple yearned for God and they found him in Jesus. And as a result, their restless hearts found rest in him. The infinite abyss was fulfilled in Christ. They found God. We continue in verses 40 and 41. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew's, Simon Peter's brother. 
he first found his brother Simon and he said to him, we found the Messiah. After spending the day with Jesus, Andrew rushed off to find his brother Peter and announced he found the Messiah. The search for Messiah is common theme among all of these first disciples. Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel each rejoiced in this truth about Jesus. They had a common longing for Messiah, the one who would make all things right. As we make our way through the labyrinths of life filled with mountains and valleys and gardens and swamps, we long for a different world where pain is relieved, tears are wiped away, justice is satisfied and love reigns. That's the world all of our hearts seek. And the Messiah promises us that world. He promises to fix the brokenness and make all things right. He will establish the world we long for when he returns. But even now, he offers peace and hope as we journey through swamps and valleys of life. And Jesus offered something else to Simon Peter as we read in verse 42. Jesus brought, or he, he, Andrew brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. See, Jesus gave Simon a divine identity when he renamed him. Cephas, Peter, which means rock. Whenever God renamed someone like he did, did Abram to Abraham or Jacob to Israel, that new name reflects a new identity. By renaming Simon, Jesus gave him a new identity as Peter, the rock. Simon was far from being a rock when Jesus first met him. No one who knew him saw rock-like qualities. They saw the opposite. He was unreliable, impulsive, reckless, and volatile. Jesus didn't see rock tendencies or potential in Simon. Jesus purposed to make a rock of Simon, and he did. We are not the people we long to be, but Jesus can make us those people. Jesus made Peter what he called him. An unreliable, impulsive, reckless, and volatile man became the rock, a disciple who helped establish the foundation of Christ's church. Identity is on the forefront of today's cultural issues. We're told to look inward to discover who we are to find our true identity. On the other hand, we naturally look outward to what other people think about us. Or we find measurements like educational degrees, accomplishments, professions, status, or awards to define ourselves. These identities always change. They are not stable. We'll feel differently about ourselves tomorrow. Our accomplishments of today will be inconsequential in the days ahead. If we build our identity by looking inward or outward, we build on shifting sand. 
They're based on fabricated self-conceptions and false values. We need to look upward to the creator who tells us who we are. Scripture says, God made us in his image. We are image bearers of the divine. Psalmist tells us we are specially, fearfully, and wonderfully made. We are God's unique creation. We are beloved of God, cherished and desired by him, even if not by anyone else. These identities are built on a solid, firm foundation, and the storms of life cannot blow them away. The future will not change them. Peter looked upward and found a new identity in Christ, a special identity based on the call of Christ. The man of sand became a rock. He became more and more the image of God that he was created to be when he followed Jesus Christ. Verses 43 through 44. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Jesus said to Peter, Philip, follow me. And he did. We don't know much about this encounter except that Philip was so excited that he had found the Messiah that he rushed to tell his friend Nathanael. What was Philip seeking? We find the answer in his message to Nathaniel. He was seeking truth. He was a student of Scripture, God's revelational truth. He looked at Jesus and he measured Jesus by what Moses and the prophets said about the Messiah and determined that Jesus matched their predictions. He was truly the Messiah. See, Jesus offers subjective truth. He did that when he met the core emotional needs of forgiveness, identity, and acceptance in Andrew, Philip, and we'll see in Nathaniel. He also offers objective truth, as in the case of Philip, who sought truth and found evidence for Jesus in the Word of God. Although our culture champions the idea that we have our own truths, only God has the truth, and we should align with it. The story of the late pastor and author James Boyce reminds us that we should all be truth seekers. James Boyce met a woman on an airplane, and when she discovered he was a pastor, she brought out all her objections to Christianity. She started by railing against original sin, how it made no sense and how she wouldn't accept it. Boyce listened to her and then replied, I see, but is it true? Next, she went on the idea about judgment and hell, saying how uncivilized and amoral all of it was. He responded, I see how you feel, 
but is it true? Finally, she erupted with her great distaste for virtually everything taught in the Bible, how it wasn't modern or appealing to her way of thinking. As Boyce began to open his mouth, she interrupted, Oh, I know, I know. None of that matters. You're going to say, is it, the tr is it true? That's all that matters. Not what we think. Only truth matters. We should all be seeking it. Philip didn't want to make up his own faith. He wanted God's truth. When presented with Jesus, he dared to ask the question, is it true? And he searched the scriptures and he found truth. And he eventually found that Jesus is truth incarnate. We now turn to Nathaniel. Philip found Nathaniel and excitedly told him about his discovery of Jesus. And their interaction is intriguing. Nathaniel was a skeptic. He wasn't buying into Philip's excitement. He condescendingly dismissed the idea that Jesus could be the Messiah, as we see in verses 46 to 48. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. And at least Nathaniel gave Jesus a chance. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? See, even though Jesus wasn't with them at the time, he knew Nathaniel's harsh criticism. But instead of being offended and defensive, like I would be, <laughs> Jesus appreciated Nathaniel's honesty and candor. Jesus is not intimidated by questions or criticism or false narratives. What Nathaniel thought about Jesus wasn't nearly as important as what Jesus thought about Nathaniel. Remember that. What Nathaniel thought about Jesus was not nearly as important what Jesus thought about Nathaniel. When he said, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Imagine that Nathaniel was caught off guard. He had been critical of Jesus, and Jesus was praising him. And when he started to process it, thinking, Yes, I, I am known for being honest and authentic. I do speak my mind, but... How would Jesus know this? And then Jesus went a step further. Verses 48 and 49. Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. See, Jesus really did know him through and through. We don't know what Nathaniel was thinking when he was under the fig tree. He might have been feeling rejected and alone. He could have been beating himself up over some past sin or ruminating about a past failure. Perhaps he was praying God would lead him to the truth. Whatever he was thinking was so significant, so deep, and so personal that he realized Jesus completely knew him and accepted him when Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree. 
it was as though Jesus said to him, Nathaniel, I know everything about you. I know your skepticism and your defensiveness. I know your passions and your great desire for God. I also know every one of your sins and the harm they've caused. I know every thought, good or bad, every selfish motive. I know the real you, and I still seek you. I love you. That's what Jesus says to each one of us today. Do you long to have someone know everything about you, every inner thought and motive, and still love and accept you? Jesus does. You are known and loved in all your sin and failures and all your weaknesses and shortcomings. He cherishes you despite the dark corners of your life that even you won't acknowledge. You are so loved that Jesus took every one of the sins he sees and will see in your life and paid for them on the cross. You were on Jesus' mind when he walked up the hill to Calvary. Nathaniel felt acceptance. And this caustic skeptic responded with a declaration that was greater than any of the earlier disciples when he said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. You know, near the beginning of John's Gospel, we've seen, Jesus asked the question, what are you seeking? Near the end of John's Gospel, Jesus asked Mary Magdalene, whom are you seeking? The answer to the first question is found in the second question. The real question we should be asking is not what are you seeking, but whom are you seeking? Only Jesus can satisfy the innermost hunger and thirst. He is the bread of life and satisfies our hunger. He offers the living water that satisfies our thirst. He is the resurrection and the life who gives the answer to death. He offers himself as the good shepherd to watch over us and lead us and protect us. He is the way to God. He is the truth. And he offers us abundant life. He is the light of the world that allows us to see life as it truly is. And he offers us the opportunity to be born again spiritually. He is the life-giving vine. All of these are true because Jesus connects earth to heaven. God created us with innate desires that only he can fill. Jesus left heaven to bring us God's divine fulfillment of these desires. He said to Nathanael, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? <clears throat> You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus connects earth to heaven and heaven to earth. Whom are you seeking? Let's pray.
Our Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray that as we leave today, your word will ring in our ears and in our hearts. That we will be drawn by your spirit more and more to Jesus Christ and find all of life's satisfaction in him. In Christ, we pray. Amen.